It is uh, a joy to be with you on this Lord's Day, and uh, I, I'm still I'm still living off of uh, yesterday's a Good News Cruise. It was my first, and boy, you talk about taking a walk down memory lane, seeing some of those cars. Uh, my dad owned a car dealership, so growing up, cars were were always part of of our life. I had four older brothers, and they were all involved in sometimes doing crazy things. But uh, yeah, some of those cars just brought back memories of uh, my family. And um, just actually how God actually used that cars to, to kind of bring me to, to saving faith in, in Christ. So, and to hear so many, that there were so many people that were exposed to the gospel. Again, uh, I thank you too in terms of uh, just your, your vision and your desire to, uh, to be relevant in terms of uh, communicating the gospel message. Uh, cars are a big part of our, our culture. And to use that in a way that is creative as a... Uh, what was done here is uh, truly uh, amazing. But this morning I did want to talk on prayer. I've, I've entitled the message, Why Pray When You Can Give Up? Uh, and this is, again, in, in conjunction with uh, being <clears throat> the Sunday that we pray for uh, those students in, uh, that are going back, as well as, uh, pa- as, as well as what Pastor said, for praying for the uh, people that had come out to um, the Good News Cruise, that uh, God will continue to work in their hearts to, uh, again, help them to understand better the gospel message and, and even come to saving faith in Christ. But, but a number of years ago, there, there was a uh, plane flight. It was a, an international flight. Uh, one of the American Airlines was coming in from uh, overseas, was landing at uh, JFK, and it was flight uh, 468. It was a, just a normal type of uh, flight, uh, boring, routine, you know, the kind you want, basically. And uh, as the pilot began his final descent, he realized that there was something wrong with the landing gear. He couldn't get the landing gear to, uh, to, to lock. And he, he worked, he tried everything that he knew to try to get the, the gear to lock, but to no avail. So he finally uh, alerted the, uh, the control tower as to his predicament. control tower put him into a, a holding pattern. Uh, uh, over the uh, the airport, and of course, then they, they responded to the crisis by sending out the the uh, emergency vehicles. Uh, they had one of the vehicles uh, put down foam on the uh, the runway that he was going to <coughs> land on. Uh, they sent the other emergency vehicles out in a row, and they were all waiting. They took their positions and realizing that disaster was just minutes away. In the meantime, passengers were being told of every maneuver that the pilot and the the rescue crews were were involved in. And, of course, you know, that the pilot comes on with that normal, calm, cheery voice uh, at a time like this. The, the flight attendants were kind of gliding, you know, about the cabin with an air of cool reserve. Passengers were told to put their, their heads between their knees and grab the ankles just before impact. You know, it was one of those, I can't believe this is happening to me kind of uh, situations. And no doubt there were a few tears and a few cries of despair because landing now was just seconds away. Suddenly, the pilot announced over the intercom. He said, we are beginning our final descent. At this moment, in accordance with uh, international aviation codes established in Geneva, Switzerland, it is my obligation to inform you that if you believe in God, you should commence in prayer. Isn't that interesting? Uh, It it is interesting to me, and I'm happy to report, that uh, no one was hurt. Uh, seriously, in the landing, although the plane was extensively damaged as it slid down that foam-soaked runway. But, but the interesting thing is that 
you know, the, the one, uh, uh, one of the particular uh, passengers on, on the plane explained this story uh, to one of the relatives. That relative the next day contacted the airlines and asked about this, uh, this prayer uh, that uh, the pilot had announced. No one was willing to give any kind of information. No response. Um, you know, it's interesting that how our society can, can, can easily and quickly go back to just a, a cool reserve when it comes to the issue of God. You know, what brought out this, this deep down secret rule was uh, when, again, people's backs are, are against the wall, they're on the brink of destruction, you know, going right up to the wire with all, no escapes allowed. You know, just, just everything closed off. Only then does our, our society crack open a, a hint of recognition that God might be there. And, and if you believe, you should commence in prayer. <laughs> well, the story that we're going to look at this morning from the uh, Gos, uh, uh, Luke's Gospel, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to uh, uh, Luke 18. And, and if you've done any study at all, in terms of the life of Jesus, one of the things you will notice is that prayer was as necessary to him as breathing air. And if it was so important for the Son of God, what does that say to us? Well, I've entitled the prayer, or this sermon, you know, Why Pray When You Can Give Up, because at times in my life, and I'm not proud of this, but there have been, well, maybe many times when I, that was my attitude. Why pray? If God knows everything there is to know about everything, then he knows what the needs are. Why, why should I pray? Why should I spend the time? Or, you know, if God doesn't seem to be answering my prayers, uh, you know, I just give up because what's the point? I move on to other things. But I found how easy it is for me to uh, kind of carry the wrong attitude with regards to this issue of praying. Um, you know, uh, I, I think what we're going to find out this morning is one of the, I think, one of the most misunderstood aspects about prayer. See, we think that, that the purpose of prayer, or at least I think at times, the purpose of prayer is to inform God. You know, like God doesn't know what's going on in my life or somebody else's life, and, and so I, you know, I, I've got to let him know. I've got to give him that information to inform him. <laughs> you know. See, but, but the purpose of prayer is not to inform God about my needs or somebody else's needs but rather it is to conform my will to his will. How often I forget that, that that is really the purpose of praying. See, prayer changes us, and, and I've seen at times how it has changed my attitude, one from complaining uh, to one of praise, one of, of being negative to, to being positive. See, it, it, the aspect of praying, at least I find, enables me to participate in God's eternal plan. Uh, it, it, it helps me to become aware of the fact that I am totally inadequate, but, but how, how infinitely sufficient God is. And so I, I've got to kind of work at this uh, aspect of understanding that the goal of my faith should be to bring me into, into direct personal fellowship, a deeper fellowship with God. Uh, hopefully prayer will, will be uh, an aspect of encouraging me to move deeper in that way. Because if I don't, then the natural result is for me to retreat. Retreat from, from establishing a deeper personal relationship with God, a deeper fellowship with Him, uh, to, to basically see that prayer, well, is static when it really isn't. See, prayer is active. You maybe have heard this before, that within the Christian life, you can't say that you are, are, are in neutral. Sometimes we think we're, we're in neutral spiritually, 
But in the Christian life, we are either moving forward or we are moving backward. Well, the same is true in terms of prayer. can't say that you're in neutral with prayer because what that really means is you're moving backward. Because we're either moving forward in our prayer into a deeper relationship with God or we're losing heart. We're, we're uh, becoming discouraged. And ultimately what, what, what will happen is that we will give up on prayer. It may even get to the point of where we give up on God. We give up on, on our faith. So again, if you, if you have um, your Bibles, and if you will turn to Luke's Gospel there in chapter 18, I'm going to read this little parable. It's only eight verses long that Jesus gives to his disciples to help them in terms of understanding some of the basics about prayer and how that should impact us. And um, I'll throw it there on the... Uh, overhead too. Luke records this. He said, when Jesus told his disciples a parable, he did it to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town that kept coming to him with a plea uh, of grant me, granting me justice against uh, my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care uh, about men, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually wear me out uh, with her coming. And then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And, I will, uh, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, uh, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? On earth, Jesus, as, as Luke records here, he, he begins this uh, discussion on prayer by giving a parable. Now, what is a parable? Well, well a parable is simply a, a figure of speech in, in which there is a moral or spiritual truth that is, is taught or illustrated. And usually it's by an analogy, something in terms of, of everyday living that was going on at the time that, that Jesus was, uh, was living here on earth. And it's, it's through the, the metaphors uh, that we sometimes get comparisons. Jesus was the great at, at giving sometimes shocking comparisons. And so this morning, as we, as we look at this, this prayer, there's, there's three disparities. There's three comparisons that Jesus gives as it relates to this issue, the issue of, of prayer. We're going to look at, at the difference in preference uh, uh, that people have. We're going to look at, at, at a difference in, in persons and beings. And then, and then lastly, we're going to look at a disparity as it relates to the, to the issue of perspective um, when it comes to, to praying. The Lord's teaching on this. He uses these three uh, comparisons to shock people, basically. So again, if you're, you're following along in your notes, the aspect here of, of looking at these metaphors and comparisons can sometimes be illustrated, I think, by, by things that we hear today, uh, analogies that are given today. For example, uh, you know, somebody recently figured out that, that uh, there was uh, something like 35 million laws that are on the books to enforce the Ten Commandments. You know, our nation was founded on basically the Ten Commandments, and yet, and yet man has come in and has, because man has removed God from the situation, you know, he's got to enforce more and more. Now, I don't know if there's 35 million, but, but that certainly paints a picture, doesn't it? <laughs> a vivid picture in terms of... Uh, the issue here of a metaphor and things that are going on to help us drive home the points uh, of different things. For example, uh, Charles uh, Toby says this. He says, the things that are wrong with the country today are the sum total of all the things that are wrong with us as individuals. I mean, you think about that in terms of what's going on in society. Yeah, 
Yeah, there's a lot of what's going on. It's just, boy, if I look at myself, my own heart, I see, boy, there's some truth to that. It paints a picture. In, uh, in over a year, we're going to be voting for a new president. So there's a lot about politics that are out there uh, today in the news media. Well, I like what uh, Ernest Ben says. He says this. He says, politics is the art of looking for trouble, finding it whether, exi- it whether it exists or not, diagnosing it incorrectly, and applying the wrong remedy. <laughs> now, does that not paint a picture in terms of what we see oftentimes? Uh, you know, we talk about government being dysfunctional and such, but, but that seems to, you know, the contrast there, it, it, it's effective in terms of underscoring truth and, and making it vivid and, and even surprising so that, well, we pay attention, we listen up. Well, again, uh, the Lord is going to do the same thing. He, he's going to talk about the first disparity here in terms of the difference in preference. Uh, now, if you look in verse 1 there, Luke clearly, and I think very carefully, shows us the point that Jesus is intending to make here. What is that? Well, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Again, depending on maybe the translation you may be using, some of the translations say, you know, not to lose heart or not to grow faint. And and simply what Jesus is saying here is that we are to pray in such a way that we don't quit, that, that we are persistent in our prayers. Now, we've all heard that before, but the issue becomes one of, well, do we really believe that? And are we really applying that? And again, I'll be honest with you at times. Um, I haven't always been there. Uh, I've henceforth the title. You know, I think at times, why pray when I can give up? <laughs> you know, sometimes it's a lot easier. But what Jesus is, is confronting us with here in terms of great boldness is, is the vivid contrast uh, of an inescapable choice. See, either we pray or we, we give up. Either we move closer to God and gain new strength, or we fall away from Him and become weaker. See, we will do one or the other. Either we learn to cry out to Him, uh, to a God who is ever-present with us, or we lose heart. We become discouraged to the point of giving up on prayer, or maybe giving up on church, or giving up on a Bible study, or giving up on our, our quiet times. Now again, I know that there are some in our world today that would challenge that. And maybe you even thought the same thing. I mean, you look at people out there in the world, and and there's those who don't know God, they're not Christians, they're not walking with God, and they seem to be doing fine. I mean, they seem to, you know, get all the great breaks in terms of their careers, they're well-known, there's money. You know, but the problem is this, we we oftentimes don't see what's really going on inside. Or or we, we, we have to just wait a little while and see, well, how does their life, you know, further, how does it end up? Uh, you know, people like Lindsay Lohan, I'm, and I'm not picking on them. I know that sometimes there's pressures and there's issues that people go through that we don't have to go through, you know, because of fame and success. But when here is somebody who initially, when you looked at her life, boy, she seemed to have it all together. And she's just continuing to self-destruct. Or, or, or Charlie Sheen, uh, maybe Tiger Woods, even Daryl Strawberry. I mean, we, we look at these people and we see that, that uh, you know, outwardly they, they seem they're rich, they're successful, they're carefree. But, but we don't see the, the utter emptiness or despair that's going on inside of them as they have to check themselves into drug rehab or alcohol rehab or some other kind of, of, of program to help them. See, there, there, there's a reason for that. Uh, there was a, um, just uh, a year ago this April, Woody Allen, he's about 78 years of age. He's an actor. Some of you may know him, a movie director. 
and uh, he just came out last last year with a movie called um, oh, it, was a, it was a romantic comedy, uh, Magic in the Moonlight, and he was being interviewed for that, and uh, he had some interesting things to say, perspective in terms of life. He he said this in in the course of the interview. Interview. He said he says uh, I firmly believe, and don't say this as a criticism that life is meaningless. He began, uh, you know, I'm not alone in thinking this. There have been many great minds far, far superior to mine that have come to that conclusion. And unless somebody can come, uh, come up with some proof or some example where it is not, I think it is. That's sad uh, when you think about this. You know, so I, I think Jesus is right when he says, um, when he says here that, that there are only two alternatives that exist. Either we pray or we give up. Either we move deeper in, in terms of our, our personal relationship with God and, and understanding His heart, or we lose heart and we become discouraged. I like what the psalmist says in, in Psalms 103.13. He says that as, as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. Of course, you know that word fear there means to respect God. To, to reverence Him. It doesn't, doesn't mean to be afraid of Him. And so, you know, when I cry out to God in prayer, uh, I can depend on, on the fact that God is going to hear and He's going to act on my behalf, that He is going to work in, in terms of my best interests. Not necessarily what I think is best, but what He knows is best for me. And, and that I will receive from Him not always what I want, but most certainly what I need. So, here, here we see this contrast, this principle here of praying. We either pray or we can cease to pray. Uh, it, between doing that, between going on with God or giving up on God. This is the first disparity that, that Jesus brings out in this, this principle. But the second one he talks about has to do with beings. There, there's two kinds of persons here in this parable that obviously Jesus uses to, to drive home his point. He's, he's talking about someone who's a widow and a judge. Now, again, think about it. Who is more weak and defenseless than a widow? If we remember anything about the culture back then, we'll know that, that women who didn't have a family to help them, who, who had become widows, could oftentimes find themselves in, in a destitute situation in terms of you know, just someone taking care of them and helping them. And, of course, you've got this judge who is you know, portrayed as someone who is, who is very uh, arrogant, he's very self-centered, he's cold-hearted. He doesn't care about this woman's problems. Uh, she is someone who's, who's being harassed, uh, persecuted by, by some individual, um, and, and he just he doesn't care. And he's not going to be moved by that. Uh, nothing can, can reach him. Uh, and, and so what happens is over time, this widow, and, and her situation does seem to be hopeless, but even so, she finds a way to get to this unrighteous judge. Yes, she makes, in the course of the story here, she makes him miserable. She continually presents herself as a nuisance. He finally does grant her the request because she's just bugging him. Now, here's the point. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story I think that Jesus is, is getting at is that the secret that she finds, the key to her, her, her power, even though this judge is, is reluctant to act, the principle is persistence. I think that's what Jesus is trying to say to you and I. We need to continue to be persistent in our praying. Not badgering God, not uh, begging Him, not trying to manipulate Him in our prayers, but just continually saying, you know what, I need, to, I need to talk to the Father. I need to talk to my Father. 
and, and not carry this attitude, as, as I mentioned, sometimes I do, I've carried of, you know, why pray when you can give up? Um, you know, God doesn't care, or God has favorites. You ever, you ever think that? God has favorites, and I'm not one of them. My wife and I sometimes joke about that, but sometimes I think it's true. Deep down inside, I think, you know what? I need to, I need to take something else because that's getting too close to the truth. You know, so Jesus is saying here is he's, he's contrasting this ungodly judge with, with the fact that, that he is the supreme righteous judge. See, God is not like the unrighteous judge. He's very different. There's a contrast there. And so, so when we become like the widow, that we find situations and circumstances in life where it's, it's hopeless or it seems futile, uh, it's easy for us to fall victim to forces greater than that we can manage. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, we need to see that there is still one way out. There is one way in which we can experience the confidence, the power, the strength to persevere. And that way is through simply uh, uh, the aspect of praise. Crying out to God, okay, in, in true faith. Uh, when we reach out to him, he, you know, we, what we're doing is we're possessing the Father's heart. And that can help change our way of thinking, our attitude, um, with regards to, you know, whatever it is that we might be going through. See, Jesus is saying, in no uncertain terms, is God like the unrighteous judge. He's not delaying in his answer. In, in fact, it, he says, will not God bring out justice in verse 7, for, those, for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Yes. Will he keep putting them off? No. No. You see, the interesting thing is this. As soon as you and I pray, the Bible teaches that God hears that prayer and he answers it. Now, the problem is that, is that sometimes we don't receive that answer as quickly as we like. But the Bible teaches that God has heard, he's moved, he's, he's acting on that. The answer is there. Now, when I think about that, that helps me in terms of uh, the confidence that I need as I pray and as I, I think about uh, what God is doing. And again, it's not an issue of where I, I badger God or I beg Him. I'm bullying God, and that's what I'm, I'm being persistent in. No, it's, it's not that. It, it's more the attitude at times, uh, like Romans, or like Paul talks about Romans, where sometimes I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to pray for. And yet I can have the confidence of knowing that God knows because he's the Father. He, like I said, he's got the answer. He, he's implemented that answer. Uh, it's not delaying. It's just it's going to get here in God's perfect timing. I was reading about the, um, the earthquake that hit Nepal last uh, October. It was a 7.8 uh, uh, earthquake. And uh, just the, the, the devastation that it caused... Uh, there were hundreds of people that were trapped in, in, in many buildings. In fact, there were about 4,000 people that lost their lives. But from that tragedy came a very interesting story. Uh, there was a story that is told of one man in particular who refused to quit. And, and the reason for that is because he was a father and he had a missing child. <clears throat> and so he worked feverishly in the ruins of, of uh, this one school where he last knew that, that his daughter uh, and, and other children were were there. They were buried in the rubble there, and he just begins to remove the bricks and the timber, and um, you know he's he's doing this day and night. You know he's three days into this, and um, you know some of the people are beginning to wonder. You know he goes four days and then five days, and finally the sixth day, people are saying, "Hey, look, you got to give it up, man. There's just no way that people can survive, and you know it's just you're just killing yourself." 
Well, on the sixth day, it's interesting because he removed a fallen section of wallboard and he found an air pocket. And as he called out his daughter's name, he heard several young voices respond very weakly, but they responded. And as he continued to dig, he, he, he included one of the voices was his daughter who said, Daddy, you came for me. I thought you had given up. <laughs> you know, sometimes we think that God takes forever to reach us when we call out to him. You know, I don't know, maybe it's because we've got a lot of junk and debris in our own lives. And it takes a while for that clutter to get uncluttered so that we can hear more clearly God's love for us and understand you know, what he's doing. See, the point is he, he's never slow to respond to our needs. As I mentioned, when we cry out in prayer, God answers immediately. He answers instantly and, and with great speed, without delay, and he never gives up. It's just that sometimes in receiving that response, it doesn't come when we want it. Or it doesn't come in the way that we think that it should. But, but never doubt the fact that God loves us, God knows what's going on, and, and God is answering. Uh, that answer may come in, in uh, maybe a quiet uh, voice, uh, the comforting voice of, of the Holy Spirit as we're reading God's Word. Or maybe it's coming from a person. This past week I had uh, a project, it was a major project, uh, 40 pa- another 40-page project that I found out I had to do with it at the last minute. And I mean, I was, I was stressing big time. And I remember I called the office um, and, and talked to the secretary there about you know, uh, trying to deal with one of the, the issues in this, this paper that had to be done. And you know, she was just so patient, and she was so comforting. Uh, she, you know, she, she answered my questions. <laughs> I just realized, man, I'm, I'm really not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit here. I'm, I'm walking in the flesh. But, but God used her as a means, just, just her demeanor and what she had to say. She didn't say anything profound. She was just, it was encouraging what she said. And what it is, calm me down, made me realize, you know what, uh, I'm not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Got alone with the Lord, began to pray and confess after I was done talking with her. But, you know, God uses circumstances to help us through prayer to get us back, okay, in that right path, to get us back in, in the proper state that we need to be. See, if we listen, we will hear an immediate answer from him, from God, assuring us that, that he is with us and, and that in his time and his way, he is going to lead us to a place of safety and conduct. And what God did was truly amazing because I was able to actually turn that paper in because I, I was thinking I'm going to have to extend that paper. But he actually helped work with me, uh, get an extension for it. And it actually allowed me to get that paper in, in time, like I was supposed to without getting an extension. And the only thing I can say is that God really helped in terms of putting together the thoughts and the sentences in my mind to get that done. Um, but again, as God says here, uh, as he says in verses 7 and 8 of our, of our text here, it, will he not, God, bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Yes, he will. Uh, will he keep putting them off? No. I tell you, uh, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the third point that, that Jesus is going to talk about, this, this disparity between uh, sometimes our attitude with regards to prayer and how we think about it. And it has to do with a difference in perspective. Uh, Jesus, in fact, before uh, he got into this parable, he's been talking about his second coming. And he wants to encourage uh, the disciples, and by extension, you and I today, that his, he's going to come. Uh, and most of Christendom, evangelical Christendom, does not debate that issue. 
We're all on the same page. Jesus is coming back. We're certain of that. Now, we may debate how he's going to do that, when he's going to do that, but we're all certain that he's going to, to come back. The, the question becomes this, though. He says this. He changes, he switches gears. He's been talking about prayer, and, and in the thir- third comparison here, he talks about faith. He talks about the, the fact that when he returns, will he find not prayer, not men and women praying, but will he find faith? Now, why is that? Well, because faith is one way in which we, or prayer rather, is one way in which we express faith. See, if we have the right attitude with regards to praying and why we're praying, well, then that can really, uh, it, it, uh, it can illustrate, it can show forth the, the faith that we have. Now, I also kind of wonder this. In what Jesus is saying here in verse 8, I, I sometimes wonder if there's another thought that, that might be implied here. You know, knowing human nature as it is, knowing my own heart, my own sin nature, I sometimes wonder, is Jesus not also talking about the possibility that as a human being, I prefer weakness over power? Um, could it be that, that what he's talking about here is that I prefer anxiety over peace, turmoil over rest, doubt over confidence, fear over faith, hatred over love? Now, I may not prefer that mentally, but how I live out my Christian life at times is what I'm saying. Hmm. A, a bit of a disparity there. You see, what Jesus is asking, because human nature being what it is, you know, at times it's, it is easy to give up, isn't it? it? It is easy to say, oh, I'm not going to believe the promises that God has given in his word. It's just kind of easy to have a pity party or to complain and, and not work at, okay, I've got to focus in on who is God, what is he like? What has God promised? Claiming those promises, applying that truth to my life, that takes action. That takes effort. This is easier to give up. Go watch TV, you know. <laughs> like a lot of good that's going to do, right? Well, again, Jesus doesn't ask, when the Son of Man comes, will he find men praying? He, he, has, he has been speaking about prayer, but he, he, now his question becomes this. When the Son of Mankind comes, will he find faith? See, true prayer is an expression of true faith. And, and what true prayer involves is not begging or, or manipulating God, thinking that he's a reluctant father. True prayer is, is where we gain confidence because we're understanding better what God has promised, what he says. Uh, true prayer is, is where we are, we are gaining greater uh, uh, faith and greater trust. Uh, true prayer is thanking God instead of complaining, uh, rejoicing in what God has given, what he has done, accepting that, that what God has given to us is the best for us, as well as appropriating his power, receiving that which he gives, even if it's not exactly what we wanted or expected. So again, the issue becomes one of, well, okay, why bother? Why bother to pray? Again, if God knows everything there is to know, and he's in control of everything, and he promises to meet our needs, then why do we pray? Well, it's because of, of the purpose of prayer, and that is to bring us into an understanding of God's will. See, prayer may not always lead us in, into answers that satisfy all of our wants or our desires or our curiosities, nor is there a guarantee that we're going to get answers that solve our problems. But rather, prayer does lead us to a place where we can accept the fact that such answers are unnecessary. See, uh, to accepting and involving ourselves in the vast 
and mysterious purposes of God. You see, it's, it's that aspect of just, okay, I grow closer in understanding who God is. I feel his confidence, his power. And it doesn't matter. I don't have to have all the answers with regards to this issue because it's a relationship that I have with him. And a relationship with any being requires communication. See, um, God is asking us uh, uh, that, that we would continue to believe him with regards to these issues. Stories told, I, I had a, a friend who, well, it was a guy that actually discipled um, at Penn State. He ran on the track and field team. He went into uh, full-time ministry uh, as a missionary. He was in Spain. When he came back from Spain, he, he shared with me one of the, a number of things. But he shared an interesting story. I forgot how he got on the topic of this. But, but he talked about how there was a situation that happened one time between a father and a son in Spain. They had had a terrible argument, and uh, the, they said harsh things to each other, and basically the son said, I'm leaving, and the dad said, good, go. I don't, I don't ever want to see you again in my home. Well, years had, had transpired, and the, the father began to feel kind of bad about the fact that he'd, he had not heard from his son for years. son's name was Jose, which I, I think is a, is a common name in Spain. But uh, the, uh, as the years passed, the father felt like he needed to do something to, uh, uh, to, to make a reconnect with his son. And so he, he began to tour throughout the country to try to find his lost son. Eventually, his, his travels led him to Madrid, the capital. And while he was there, because there's so many people there in Madrid, he decided he would put a, an ad in the paper, in, in, the, in the classifieds. Uh, and, and it went something like this. It said, my son, Jose. Uh, I am sorry for the pain I caused you. Please forgive me. I have forgiven you. I looked everywhere for you and want only to see you again. I will be at the, pla- at the Plaza Fountain every day this week at noon. Please meet me there. Signed, your father. <laughs> well, the amazing thing was this, that there were literally hundreds of young men whose name was Jose that, that came down to the Plaza Fountain that week hoping to reestablish a relationship with their fathers. And, you know, that's a great picture, I think, in terms of what God is trying to say to you and I. If we're in that state of where, you know, we've kind of drifted um, or, or we don't know Christ in a personal way, God is desiring to have a personal relationship with us. He, he wants us to go deeper if we know him uh, as our Savior in, in terms of communing and fellowshipping with him. And, and prayer is just one way of expressing faith in, in a deep relationship that we have uh, with God that God desires. See, without faith, without talking to the Father, without listening to Him, what kind of relationship do we really have with Him? Therefore, I, I'd, I'd like to just propose this last principle as it relates to the issue of prayer. It's called the push, push principle. We should simply do this. We should simply pray until something happens. Push. Pray until something happens. 